So uh, take your Bibles and turn to uh, the Gospel of John, and I want you to put your finger in it, John chapter 1, and then John chapter 7. Okay, we're going to be in both those places. Uh, but before we do, uh, before we get into the message, I want to introduce you to a couple of people. This is Chrissy. Most of us know Chrissy. She is the uh, big shot at the uh, Modesto Pregnancy Center. That's her door right back there on Saturday night. So a lot, a lot of you know her. Thank, thank Chrissy for uh, just being who she is. Do that? So, I don't know, it was a number of years ago, uh, God led her to lead, in my humble opinion, maybe the finest uh, ministry uh, in our town, in our county, maybe state, maybe in the whole country the Modesto Pregnancy Center, L- literally, literally saving lives, like, like, like literally saving lives. And it's a real honor for all of us. When that little green bag went by a little bit ago, um, quite a few of those shekels in there go to the Modesto Pregnancy Center. Well, Chrissy has just sensed the Lord moving in her life, and I want to introduce to you the new executive director of the Modesto Pregnancy Center, Aaron Coolhouse, right here. Will you give it up for Aaron? And I uh, had the pleasure of, you know, them coming up into my office, uh, I don't know, last week or whenever it was, a couple weeks ago, and we prayed for them, and um, just really, really excited that God has good people in his church and all of these great parachurch ministries that when it's time for somebody to move on or do something else or start a new chapter in their life, there's someone else, somebody that's really, really capable. And I wanted you guys to all lock eyes with her, okay? Because she's somebody you need to be praying for. The Manesso Pregnancy Center is under a lot of demonic warfare, trust me. And uh, not only do we need to give them shekels, and we do, but we need to be praying for them. You need to be praying for them. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand right now, okay? Everybody stand. And I'm gonna pray a blessing over both of them, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for these gals. These are two great leaders in our community. Now, our town will never recognize them as leaders. These are great women leaders of our community. And I'm thankful for Chrissy and all of her hard work and prayers and agonizing as the leader of that great ministry. I'm thankful, God, that you've used her in great ways, ways that she doesn't even know. And now, Lord, I'm really grateful that you've raised up somebody else who will now take that baton and uh, do, do greater things, Lord. And I pray for Erin. I pray you watch over her, her family, her children. I pray you watch over the staff. Give her unbelievable wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon, as it were, as she leads that organization, God. And may Erin always know she's got a friend here at Big Valley Grace, lots of them, thousands of them, And we're here rooting her on, praying for her, and uh, look forward, God, to seeing how you will uh, use her in the future. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, would you give it up for these gals right here? Will you do that? 
Hey, so uh, what I said is no joke. You know, in our city, we got all these little magazines and all these little things, and they always have uh, on the cover of them, you know, great leaders of our community, women leaders, men leaders. Those are two of the greatest leaders of our city. And they're never going to end up on any of those magazines. The world will never recognize what they do and the impact that they have had, but those are two of the great leaders of our city, and they just happen to uh, be gals. So here's the deal. We're singing. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, when we're done, just go into the altar and we'll give you a Bible. You're watching online, you just come down to the church Monday or Tuesday, we'll give you a Bible. We want to put the Word of God into as many hands as, as we can, okay? Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the jumbotrons, and they'll come up, in, or you got them uh, in your notes, except for this one. So we're down here singing, and I'm just listening to the music, and I'm singing some of the songs, and uh, for whatever reason, my, my mind went to John chapter 1, and we were there a long time ago. We're in John 7 now. If you're visiting, we're in a series where we're just kind of walking through the, the gospel of John together. And for whatever reason, my mind was taken back to these first words from John. And right out of the gate, he says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the first time that this would have been read, we, we don't know what the word is yet. All we know is that the, in the beginning, in the very beginning, there was the word, and the word was not only with God, but, but it actually was God. He, the word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, Nothing was made that was made. Whoa. Whoa. It's not until you get to verse 14 that we figure out who the Word is. And John says, and the Word became flesh. You see that in your Bibles, verse 14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. And we celebrate that here in just, I don't know, a couple months. We celebrate that moment. We call it Christmas. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. There, there, there comes a moment when the Word becomes flesh. And then he says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And so John makes this really incredible statement. He said, look, I have seen the glory in Jesus. I've seen the glory. Now, most of Jesus' 33 years here on planet Earth, his flesh veiled his glory. But there were moments, the Mount of Transfiguration, there were other moments where John 
guy who we're studying his gospel, his letter, he saw it. We can read about it. He was there. He was an eyewitness to this, this life of the Messiah. Saw him. Hung out with him. High-fived him. Sat at a coffee shop with him. Laughed with him. Cried with him. He actually, he actually with his own ears, heard him speak. He, he saw with his own eyes the miracles that Jesus performed. He saw it. And it was a number of years after the death of Jesus that God, through his Holy Spirit, fills his life and brings back to his memory what we're studying. We are studying a first hand account of somebody who literally walked with Jesus. And so when you get to chapter 7, everybody turn there. This is, he's, he's just remembering what, what he saw. That's what he's doing. He was an eyewitness to the whole thing. When um, when you get to chapter 7, you kind of turn a corner, I think, in the, in the Gospel of, of John. Chapters 1 through 6 basically focus on the first two and a half years of Jesus' public ministry here on earth. Okay, Chapters 7 through 10 focus on the last six months of Jesus' life and ministry. And then chapter, uh, chapters 11 to the end focus on really the last week of his life and then his death and, and, and resurrection. So as you go through the Gospel of John, it really goes from kind of a spotlight, the first six chapters, then you get to chapter 7, and now you're going to come down to the last six months of his life, and then when you get to chapter 11, it's now going to be a laser beam on the very, his last week of ministry. So... With this, let's look at John chapter 7, okay? And we're just going to look at um, uh, 10 verses here. It says, after this, okay, after everything that happened in John chapter 6, a lot of, some time has gone by, but certainly all the stuff that we read about in John chapter 6, right? Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. Remember, two and a half years have gone by, and, and now the religious leaders have had it up to here with Jesus. They've heard him teach. They've seen him do some miracles. They can see that he's kind of got this following, and now they're trying to figure out how to, how to take him out. Th these are the religious leaders. The religious leaders are trying to kill him. Verse 2, but soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to 
uh, Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you go do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. At this point, Jesus' own half-brothers don't believe in him. They don't believe he is the Messiah. Yeah, they've heard him teach. Yeah, yeah, that, that dude's weird, man. That guy can, that guy can flat out preach, you know, and, and he can do it in a short amount of time. Takes countrymen an hour and a half, man. That guy can, that guy can nail a sermon in, you know, 14 verses and he's done, you know. They, 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 they've watched him do miracles. They, they, they've seen it. But they're still not convinced. In fact, his half-brother James isn't isn't going to believe until he sees the resurrected Jesus. Jesus dies on a cross, and James is not a believer. And obviously, Jesus shows himself after the resurrection to James, and that was the thing that got James to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It all kind of comes together. Uh, Jesus replied, now, uh, now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. And the reason why the world couldn't hate these men was because at this moment, they weren't believers. They're not believers yet. That's why the world doesn't hate them. Yet, things are going to change. They're they're all going to become, you know, his followers. I mean, they're all going to surrender their life over to him in a real way. All but Judas, obviously. And then they'll be hated. And not just hated, but they'll all lose their life, basically. All but John, and his, his life wasn't all that great afterwards. Verse 8. You go on. I'm not going to go to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee, but after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly, staying out of public view. Now, isn't that interesting? I just think this is just really Really an interesting few verses, uh, an interesting little vignette, if you will, of the life of of Jesus. Now, there's a lot in these 10 verses, but I'm only going to focus on on a couple of things that I hope are a blessing to you, and I may not even make it through to to the second one, but we'll we'll see. And my first thought, my first thing I want to tease out of this, if I could, is this. God wants his people to remember him. If you're here and you know the Lord as your Savior, as you read through the Bible, the Old Testament, those 39 books in the Old Testament, the 27 books in the New Testament, you can't miss the idea that God wants His people to remember Him. Verse 2 tells us about this festival of of, of shelters. This, this festival was, was going to happen. And for those of you that don't know what this festival was, let, let me unpack it for you, okay? 
The Festival of Shelters, it's also called the, the Feast of Tabernacles, was one of the, the three great Jewish feasts. They had, they had more than three, but this was considered one of the three great ones. There was the Passover. Some of you have heard of the Passover. There was the Shavuot or the Festival of Harvest, and there was the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles, which is, which is where, what we're talking about. And uh, it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Each year, every year, every single year, every man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals. The festival of unleavened bread, okay, that's, that's the Passover, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he chooses, but they must not appear before the Lord without a gift. Don't come empty-handed. And so here in Deuteronomy, these were the three parties, festivals, feasts, that all the Jews, wherever they lived, all had to make their way to a designated spot um, with, 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 with a gift. And let me give you just a brief description of each of these. Uh, number one, you had the Festival of Unleavened Bread or, or, the, or the Passover. Passover was basically a time when the Jewish people would remember and celebrate the day that God spared all the firstborn in Egypt. Remember when the Jews were in, you know, in captivity in Egypt, you know, for 400 years, they were slaves, okay? And then all of a sudden, you know, God answers the people's prayer and, and calls forth Charlton Heston, you know, or, or Moses, and, and Moses was going to be their deliverer. And so God sends Moses to talk with Pharaoh, you know, let you got to let my people go, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And so God, through Pharaoh, brings all of these plagues. And the last plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. God said, here's the deal, Moses. Here's what I'm going to do. If he didn't let the people go, man, I'm going to go in. I'm going to kill every firstborn male child, even animal. Everybody, unless they take some blood and they wipe that blood on the top of the doorpost, down the sides, when the death angel comes to that house, they'll see the blood and the angel will pass over it. And they won't kill the firstborn inside that particular house. And so it was after the last plague, when all these firstborn babies, well, they didn't have to be babies. I was a first, I, if it had been me, you know, you, you could have been 20 or 30 or 40 years old, no matter how, as long as you were the firstborn male, you died. And so what Passover was, was God wanted the people to all get together and remember the day that I spared all the firstborn children's lives, or, you know, sons' lives. That's what the Passover was about. 
The second great celebration was the, the Festival of Harvest. The Festival of Harvest is basically a time when the Jewish people would remember and they would celebrate God's faithfulness and providing food, you know, the harvest or whatever. And then later on, it also became a time of remembering God giving Moses the, 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 the Torah. It's also known as the Festival of First Fruits because the Israelites were to bring the first part of their harvest to the, to the celebration, to the feast, as an offering. So if you were an almond farmer, you know, all your nuts are on the trees, you shake them, and then you know what you do? You take up the first batch, and you're going to put them in a, you know, your truck or whatever, and you're going to take them to this festival, and you're going to offer them to the Lord, and you're going to say, thank you, Lord, for the rest of the nuts that are back on the ranch. God was very clear. You don't shake the trees and then sell them and make some money to put a roof over your house and to pay the bills. And then whatever you got left over, you bring that. No, no, no. You bring the first piece of it. And then, as I said, later on, it became a time when they would remember the fact that God sent Moses up on top of the hill and he came back down with the Ten Commandments. A lot of religious Jews on that particular holiday, they literally will spend, um, uh, uh, they'll stay up all night just studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy. And then the third great celebration is the Feast of, of, of Shelters or the Festival of, of, of Tabernacles, or it's got a number of names, and it's basically a time when the Jewish people would remember and celebrate the fact that God dwelt among them during the 40 years that they wandered in the desert. So remember, Moses comes, set my people free, all of a sudden God sets the people free, but they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but God dwelt with them. They didn't get into the promised land. They didn't get into their house, so to speak. And so they had to, for 40 years, just kind of wander around and build, you know, little, little huts or whatever. And they just kind of wandered around. And so God said, hey, look, I want you to remember this time. In fact, Josephus called this feast the holiest and the greatest of all the feasts. It was a time of thanksgiving for harvest. It was a happy time. The, the Jews would live outdoors in booths, you know, made of trees and for seven days, just as a reminder of what happened during those 40 years they were wandering around in the, in, in, in the wilderness. And uh, anyway, and there were a lot of other feasts, but these were the three great feasts. This last feast was the one that the disciples were heading to, Okay. And Jesus was going there also. And all of these feasts, here's my point. All of these feasts and festivals or parties or whatever it is you want to call them, all had one basic purpose. And that was, it was a time to remember God. God says, you're going to bring all the people together. And here's the deal. You're bringing gifts to me. You're going to remember me. There's going to be all these symbolic things that would happen, uh, you know, during the feast. And it was all so that the people wouldn't forget God. If I had to boil it down into one little word, just, just remember. God didn't want his people to forget all the wonderful things that he had done. And, and so he sets up all of these, these celebrations. And, and, 
And when you think about it, we're no different. We, we, we do the same thing. Today we remember and celebrate the, the day the Messiah was born, right? That's a big festival. That's a big feast. That's a party, right? December 25th. Family comes over. People come over. And it's this great time when for us as believers, we remember the fact that God kept his promise and sent the Messiah. From Genesis chapter 3 on, it's all about the fact that God's going to send a Messiah. He's sending a Savior. All the prophets, all of the books, those 39 books, hey, I'm sending a Messiah, I'm sending a Savior. And you get to the New Testament, and as I said a little bit ago, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. And we celebrate that. In fact, for the last I don't know, 10 or 12 or 15 years, um, I have given out those cards, even preached messages on the three gifts because I've seen what has happened to Christmas. It's, it's no longer a time when we remember this weighty moment when God sends the Messiah. It's become a time when we spend a lot of dough and it just we've gotten off track. And I tried with the three gifts to get us back on track so that Christmas or Christmas Eve or whatever day it is, when your family gets together, when you sit down with your, chil- your children or your spouse or whatever, hey, here are three gifts based upon the wise men's gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each of them means something. So all your gifts mean something. And you talk about the, the importance of, of Christmas. Christmas is a, 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 a really, really great time. And here's the thing, you know, growing up, my mom and dad were divorced and both of them, you know, married just great people. And, 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 and I had family now on both sides of, you know, stepbrothers and sisters on both sides, all wonderful, wonderful people. And when you're young, you know, you can get in a car and drive here and go to this Christmas party and you can go over here and go to this Christmas party and you drive around and and then, you know, I got married, and then I had my own kid, and, and then all of a sudden it becomes harder. It becomes a little harder to go to this home and this home, not because you don't love the people. You love the people, but you got your own life. you got your own family. You know, your kid, he doesn't want to leave. He wants to play with his big wheel, but we, now nah, we got to go to Grandpa's house. You know? and, then, and then they get a neat gift from Grandpa 1, and then, ah, we got to go to Grandpa's 2. And he just, I just finally said, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. We're just going to stay home. And you know what? Everybody can celebrate their Christmas and have a great time, but I'm just not doing that anymore. Because I wanted it to be special. Not that it wasn't special, but it was a lot of packing up and a lot of driving. And a lot of food. (laughs) Especially for Marie. That lady knows how to cook. And uh, I just, I'd come home and it was like, my pants didn't fit for a month. You know, it was, oh my God. Today, we remember and celebrate the day the Messiah died on the cross, right? Good Friday. Man, we have these unbelievable services in here just to remember that day. And there's no other purpose. You just come in here. It's very, it's reverent in a different way. And we just remember the day that the Messiah died. 
for, for us. We, today we remember and celebrate the day, right, Jesus walked out of the grave, right? That's a big celebration, man. We all go out, buy new dresses, you know, once a year I put a tie on, you know, and, uh, you know, we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty, right? That's a great day. And the whole point of it isn't bunnies. It isn't eggs. I get so frustrated with churches today, and some of them are good churches. And they're, they're planting seeds in little children's minds that somehow they equate this moment with eggs and candies. And, and I know their motives are good. I'm not judging their motives. But I, you know what? No, 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 no. They got enough stuff they're dealing with. We just don't do that. Every year people always say, hey, you got all that land out there. Why don't you throw eggs and let kids come and find eggs? No, I'm not doing that. It's not about eggs. That's not what it's about. And you're free to do that on your own time, I guess, but, but that's supposed to be a time when we, just like the Jews, just like these festivals, where you remember something very specific. Uh, today, we uh, remember and celebrate the fact that Jesus came in bodily form, and, and, and he shed his blood, and went to a cross and died, and they put him in a tomb, and he, he came out of the tomb, and someday he's coming back. We call that communion. Communion is one of these special moments in the life of a church where we're going to remember something very, very specific about Jesus. And I know that some of you have other, uh, there are other celebrations within the Protestant tradition that we may not um, celebrate, but there's many of them. And so much like the Jews, we have ours. Special times when all we're going to do is remember. Now, here's something that's super interesting. In Revelations chapter 2, Jesus writes to seven different churches. These were real churches that were, you know, at the time out there. And he writes these seven letters. And he says this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And to the angel of the church at Ephesus, I want you to write this. Jesus says, hey, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Whew, man, this, this, this is good. Yet, Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Oh. And what's the first thing that Jesus says? What's the first thing he says to get it back? Remember. Engage this thing right here. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. And once you spend time remembering, it's going to lead you to repent because you're going to go, oh man, I'm not doing the things I used to do. Yeah. And the mechanism by which you're repenting is remembering. Remembering God. Remembering all that He has done for us or whatever all that might be. In Revelation chapter 3, He writes to another church, and it says this, to the angel of the church at Sardis, write, I know your deeds. You have a a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up! 
Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in, my, in, in, in the sight of my God. Here's how we're going to make this better, church. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Here's the problem. You forgot. You need to remember all the wonderful things that, that they had been taught. In the first 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter uh, shares all these wonderful truths about God. There's really a, just a ton of, I don't know, gospel language in the first 11 verses. And then Peter says this in verse 12. He says, therefore... I will always remind you about these things. I'll remind you about all these truths that he just shared in the first uh, 11 verses. Even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown to me that I must soon leave this earthly life so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. So somehow the Holy Spirit lets Peter know, hey, look, you don't got much time left on this earth. And so immediately he says, here's what I got to do. I got to help these people remember what they've been taught. He goes on and says this in chapter 3. He said, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. Or this is Second Peter chapter three, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your what, your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago, and what our Lord and Savior commanded through those uh, apostles. I want you to remember what. Noah said, I want you to remember what Ezekiel said and, and Jeremiah said. I want you to remember what Isaiah said. I want you to remember what Malachi said. I want you to remember all that the prophets had, had, had taught. Obviously, the, 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 the New Testament hadn't been written. And so Peter is sharing all these things. And he's going, okay, look, I only got a little bit of time left. Here's what I'm going to do. I got, I got one bullet in my gun. I'm going to help them remember. That's my bullet. I want them to remember. Think about it. What happens when you come here on a Saturday night? What happens when you come here to church? Do I go, hey, everybody, glad you're here. I've got something new to share. If I ever do that, get up and run out of here. I got nothing new to share. All I do is just help you remember. Now, for some of you, you're brand new in the faith, and you're hearing this for the first time. But all I do is say, hey, take your Bibles and turn here, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to remember what you've already read. You may not have read it in a while, there's a lot of stuff here. 
And so when you go through a book of the Bible, you're remembering quite a bit. In fact, one of the things I thought about here is basically what Peter's saying is, is that he was the pastor of remembering. And I, I kind of look at myself that way. I think that's a great title. Rick Countryman, pastor of remembering. That's what I do. You come into my office and we're in a counseling situation, you know what, uh, let's remember. I, I, that's all we're going to do is spend time right here remembering what, what God said. That's all, that's all we're gonna do. Because God doesn't want us to forget because when you forget it's when you get all goofed up. You get all goofed up in a marriage, you get all goofed up in a lot of areas, your parenting, uh, how you handle your money. When you forget what God says and you stop living by the words of this book, you're probably gonna get messed up. I've never had a couple, Lonnie's counseled way more people than I have, guarantee it. Never has there ever, and I haven't asked him, could be wrong, I doubt it, has a couple come in and said, you know what? We love studying the Word together. In fact, we memorize the Word, and, and we were in church, and we just love going to Bible studies and all that. We hate each other. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. You show me a family that's remembering, spending time remembering. You show me a man that's remembering, a woman that's remembering. I'm going to show you somebody's probably doing pretty well. Now, we still have to deal with our flesh. I, I get all that. That's why our church gatherings are so important. Because you get in here and, and, and something happens. You came onto a weird piece of land, man. This is kind of an embassy of heaven. And you're here and things are different. The music's a little bit different. Then all of a sudden the songs go on and they're all about Jesus. All we're doing is right out of the gate, let's remember through songs. Hey, we want you to remember that you're to bring a gift to the Lord. Do you remember? Hey, let's open the word now. We're going to remember. I think it's one of the reasons why the writer of Hebrews said this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Beloved, when you get into the habit of miss, missing the, the gatherings here on the weekend, the chances are greater that you're just going to forget some of the great things that God has said, some of the great truths, and how you're supposed to live your life. It's not just so we can, hey, let's all get together so we can you know, have a crowd. I, I don't care about that. We care about your souls as the pastors of this church. We care about you. We care deeply about you, and we know the value of you being here, hearing the songs, getting into the Word. And it's not that, you, you've probably read some of the, these things more than I have, but you know what? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And man, God begins to do something as you remember Him. So let, let, let me ask you a question. How often do you stop doing stuff so that you can simply spend time remembering the Lord? I just want you to think about that. 
found a number of really interesting articles on how we spend the 168 hours that we get each week. And it's one of the things that's the same. I get 168, you get 168, you get 168, you get 100. We all get 168 hours every week. And obviously, um, there have been a lot of studies done. And really, there are three major categories on how we spend that time. Number one, you got sleep, okay? And sleep is about 56 hours a, a, a week. That's if you get eight hours. And some of you get a little bit more than that. Bobby, Bobby's up to 10, 12 hours of sleep every day. Some of you get less than that, but on an average, you're gonna, you're gonna blow 56 hours just sleeping. You're gonna spend about 45 hours working, and once again, Bobby's got about, gets about 15 hours in at work. <laughs> I'm teasing. So, you know, so, some of you may work a little bit more, some of you may work a little bit less, but they say on an average, you're gonna put about 45 hours in. And then the third big category is, is eating. You spend about 14 hours, you know, and that includes, you know, I don't know, making your PJ sandwich for lunch and, 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 and then making dinner and, and all that. So it's about 14 hours, okay? If you get a half an hour maybe in the morning, a half an hour for lunch, an hour at dinner. So they figure about 14 hours of that. So, so that's a total of 115 hours right there. That leaves 53 hours are left now in the week. If, if you're the average soul, now you guys are all way above average, I understand that. But, but if you're just the average person, you got 53 hours left. Now, what I haven't got to now is this. They say that the average person, say our age, not young people, because young people, it's way higher. But I, I, I was thinking about the average age maybe of, of uh, Lonnie and I. We're in, like, you're, in your, you're in your 30s, okay? <laughs> uh, you're gonna spend uh, 25 hours a week just watching TV. 25 hours a week. Uh, goofing around on a computer or a smartphone, you know, looking at your Facebook or your Twitter or whatever. You're gonna spend about six hours a week doing that, okay? Working out or going to the health club or whatever, you're gonna spend about an average of about seven hours a, a, a month doing that. Traveling in a car, this one was super fascinating. You know, to and from work and to the grocery store and, you know, to and from school if you got to drop your kids off or maybe you're in college or whatever. Just time in your car, you're going to spend about four hours. Then they also had a category of how much time you spend just stopped at a stoplight. <laughs> I've, I've, I've burned half my life at stoplights. I didn't, that's why I'm thankful for roundabouts out by my house. I, I, I mean, man, I ain't stopping. I've blow, blown three years of my life at stoplights, man. It's unbelievable. So when you add these up, what I just rattled off, that's another 42 hours a week. So, so our total now is 157 hours. We're up to 157 hours, right? So we got 11 hours left or about an hour and a half a day. So back to my question. How often do you just stop and simply spend time remembering the Lord? Because you Google it tonight, and there are charts and graphs for all different kinds of families and all different kinds of phases of life, and it's super fascinating to see how that 168 hours, there are forces at work that want to make sure it's jammed up. 
doing good things. The enemy's not stupid. We're not making decisions between, huh, do I want to you know, do this or do I want to go rob a bank? You know, robbing a bank, I'm going to blow two hours. <laughs> no, Satan, Satan and the demons are way smarter than that. You're not choosing between good and evil. You're choosing between what's good and the very best. And before you know it, man, I don't got any time to read my Bible in the morning. I don't got any time to go to men's ministries or women's ministries. I'd love to take my daughter to a secret keeper girl, but you know who's got three hours to do that? Man, going to church, you know, blowing an hour and a half, hour and a half, countryman, come on, it's an hour and 45 with you. Who's got an hour and 45? You cut this thing down to an hour and 15, I, I might be able to do it. No, you wouldn't. Because the enemy will make sure that somehow it's filled up. That time just gets sucked into a vortex of good things. We, we have, as human beings, the propensity to forget. God knew that. God knew it. And so... In the Old Testament, or before we, you know, he had all these festivals and parties so that, hey, men, you go out and work, you do all your stuff, you bust your hump doing whatever, but here's the deal. There is going to be this regular rhythm when you're going to come, and we're going to party so that you can remember me. And I think for us, in this New Testament era, if you will, the era of grace or whatever you want to call it, there is this thing called the gathering of the saints. You, you, you committed to this? Is, this? is this on the schedule? That You know, nothing's, gonna, nothing's getting in here, man. Nothing. This is my one time where I'm going to go after punching in, punching out all week long, you know, doing all the stuff, doing the laundry, mowing the lawns, whatever all the stuff is. But this is, I'm putting it all aside so I can come and worship the Lord with my brothers and sisters, and I get to remember Him in a special, in a special way. Bible studies. We've been pushing small groups. And one of the great things about a small group is the fact that there comes this moment after the fellowship and the laughter or whatever, whatever it is you do in yours where, you know, someone goes, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to look at a video and you're going you're gonna to remember biblical truth. And then you'll have people around you that can help hold you accountable to the truth and help you maybe remember the truth all week long because you're doing life together. Well, here's the deal. Um, we're going to stop right there. Okay, I want you all to stand up. We're going to stop. I can come back next week. We'll figure this out next week, what we're going to do. Um, here's, here, here's the deal, my friends. Listen, listen. Anytime I want. Anytime I want. Could be on my lunch hour. Uh, I remember uh, my, my sister's right up here, and our parents had just opened up a, 
a, a jewelry store out on Yosemite Avenue, and and about that same time, you know, I gave my life to the Lord, and and I used to um, I used to ride my my bike or I had a little moped thing, Yamaha and or my car, and I'd go over to Eddie's Meat Market, which was on McHenry Avenue. It's burned down now, and I get a I get a sandwich, and I'd go to Graceda Park. I didn't know a lot of people in the church yet, but I go on my lunch hour and I take my Bible and I would just read it, just read it. That's all I did was read it. Now, a lot of it, most of it, I don't know, 90% of it, I didn't understand. I I don't know, I, I meant what? I just knew that somehow, some way, this was so important that I would remember God. I wouldn't have put it like that back then, but that's what I was doing. I was remembering God on my lunch hour, and that's what I did. There's ways that we can take that 168 hours and say, God, I gotta make sure in the rhythm of my week that me, my wife, my kids, my own personal life, I'm gonna spend time remembering the Lord. Father, thank you for our time tonight. I, I just really enjoyed the, the, the music. I'm so thankful for good people in our church um, who love you so much that it, it, it spills over to a, a love for the, 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 the church, like Mark working with just those special folks. Lord, thank you for him. I'm so grateful for Chrissy and seeing somebody in our own church who had a huge impact on our city. I'm so thankful for Erin and her new role. And, and uh, man, I'm just, I get excited when I see people who love you. And it just spills over into a love for just ministry. I'm grateful for the songs we sang tonight. It's a sacred, holy songs. Just great songs. Just getting on my knees for a moment and remembering how amazing your love is. That was, that was an amazing moment. And then, Lord, to be able to just together have a Bible study with my family as we walk through John together. Bless us as we leave here now, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said... Amen. Okay, blessings, everybody. Live for Christ.